Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Becca. Merry Christmas, Becca. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Welcome to our 25th episode. Yes, happy Hanukkah. So perfect for Christmas. The 25th episode. So close to the 25th. It's very appropriate. Unplanned, of course. (laughs) But we have some very exciting news, or I guess I do. Yeah, my news is old news. Shared yours. Yeah, old news now. (laughs) But I got my dietitian license my rd finally round of applause thank you of one so proud of you it feels good or does it feel good i should say (laughs) Uh, yeah i was a little bit i mentioned this to you before but i wasn't as um excited Mm -hmm. as i thought i'd be i think it'll like once it settles in yeah i'll get those like butterflies because i feel like this we've been working so hard towards totally. these letters. You need to marinate in it a bit. I think so. You know what feels nice? What? Updating your LinkedIn. Have you done that yet? No, but I'm going to do it as soon as we sign off here. Yeah. For some reason, updating the LinkedIn felt official. Okay. I'm excited. I'm going to do that ASAP. Do it. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm so proud of you. We did it. This is officially oh, a podcast. Thank you. Proud like, of you too. Thank you. But this is officially a podcast <laughs> run by 
two dietitians. Yeah. And we're so evidence-based. So evidence-based. <laughs> well, I guess like we may as well just get right into it. Mm-hmm. This is technically our Christmas episode, as we were saying. And because of that, it only seems appropriate for Sarah to share the history of our favorite holiday foods. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm going to tell you about that time that the cranberry industry almost collapsed in the nation's first great food scare. I'm so excited. And this is like weirdly also the foundation of a lot of misinformation that we come across today. And you'll see what I mean when I get into it. But this scare also pushed the cranberry industry to get super creative and is how they became a year-round global commodity rather than a seasonal product over Thanksgiving and Christmas. So cool. So this is really like one of those amazing historical stories that describes kind of like why things are the way that they are. And I think you're really going to like it. I am so excited. Me too. I really, I love, like, I love, I say this all, like too often, but I love the historical episodes because they provide so much context for how things are now. And spoiler alert, <gasps> I have some intel into the FDA and how it was formed. Whoa. So stay tuned. <laughs> Can't wait for that <laughs> FDA history. <laughs> okay, am I the only one who thinks something like that's really cool? <laughs> I think it's, I guess, semi-cool, but also kind of boring. It's not boring. It's actually really not boring. Okay. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have even started that <laughs> teaser. We can cut that. <laughs> the information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little history and some fun facts about some of our favorite Christmas and holiday treats. But first, Becca, I'd like to know what your favorite Christmas cookie is. Um, 
Christmas sugar cookies. Sugar cookies. Oh my gosh. I made so many sugar cookies last weekend. Did you? Oh yeah. yeah. I saw your photos. And then I decorated half so of them, cute. but I made uh, like five batches of sugar cookies. Oh, so you made all of those. I made all of them. Wow. Yeah. It was Impressive. a full day affair. I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> That's what okay, I do what now. What else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is a Nanaimo bar. Are, that, are those Christmas specific? Aren't they? <laughs> they're from, I thought they, okay, they're Christmas specific in my family. I feel like those are location specific to Nanaimo. No, they're a classic Canadian delicacy. But not Originating from Nanaimo. Are you sure? I don't think so. Okay, fine. I'll say gingerbread then. But <laughs> let me, I need to look this up because now I'm intrigued. Well, I only ever okay. had them around Christmas. Oh, wow. The word Nanaimo, I think it's an indigenous word for a big, strong tribe. Cool. Yeah, I don't think that they're... Christmas specific. Okay, so they're just a dessert. Well, okay. Well, I gave them a special (laughs) shout out. They're very special to me because I love them so much. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. It's okay. I have backups. I also love gingerbread and (laughs) shortbread. 10 out of 10. Yeah, good choices. I also love Nanaimo bars. Nothing against them whatsoever. Love them. I don't know. That seemed like an attack. (laughs) (laughs) I just know that I've had them on occasions other than the holidays. They are a perfect all-season treat. <laughs> yes. Okay. Each year around the holiday season, kitchens all across the world fill with the warm, delicious sense of holiday baking. For those who celebrate Christmas, that probably means cookies and squares filled with chocolate, cinnamon, nutmeg, sugar, and butter. And for those who celebrate Hanukkah, it might be things like sweetbreads and apple cakes. But have you ever wondered why? Baking seems to come to the forefront of this wintry holiday season. Always. Constantly wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Since the beginning of human civilization, there have been solstice celebrations all around the world to honor the changing of the seasons. So in Norway, Africa, Ireland, India, North America, people have gathered for large feasts before the winter cold takes over. But by the Middle Ages, the Christmas holiday season had largely replaced the solstice festivals in Europe. And around the same time, spices and dried fruits started becoming widely available due to increasing trade routes. Colonization. Yes. So things like nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, vanilla, dried apricots and dates, they were becoming more mainstream and more widely available. But they were still pretty expensive. So all those items, along with things like sugar, butter, and lard, were still pretty pricey for the average family. And so they'd be purchased only for the most important holiday of the year. And families would do large quantities of baking leading up to the Christmas holiday. And of course, so you can share all of your desserts with friends and family, things like cookies and squares quickly became the star of the show. One classic cookie and one of my faves that I just mentioned is gingerbread, which is, of course, made with molasses. And to learn more about molasses, you can check out our episode on the Boston Molassacre. But gingerbread was first famously cut into the shape of a man, a gingerbread man, by Queen Elizabeth I of England. And she had her ginger cookies. I know, isn't that cute? She's like, I've Mm -hmm. got a great idea. And it it was a great idea. It really stuck. So she had her ginger cookies cut into the shape of her favorite courtiers. What's a courtier? I did Google that, and it was someone who (laughs) attends the court. Oh, lawyers? 
no, 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 like the royal court. <laughs> I think that I don't really know what that is. It's just like like parties and stuff. Interesting. Oh, yeah. A person who attends a royal court as a companion <laughs> or advisor to the king or queen. Yeah. Huh. That's very cute. It is cute. And another fun Christmas cookie tradition is leaving cookies and milk out for Santa. And maybe, if they're lucky, some carrots for the reindeer as well. So one theory is that this tradition took off in North America during the 1930s, during the Great Depression. And parents started this tradition in an effort to teach their children the importance of sharing with others. And apparently the tradition stuck. So that's one theory. Another theory is that this tradition stems from Norse mythology, in which the Norse god Odin had an eight-legged horse named Slipner. And during the Christmas season, children would leave carrots out in hopes of getting a visit from Slipner and Odin and getting gifts in return. So like very much Santa and the reindeer vibes. Right. And versions of this still exist in Denmark, Belgium, and the Netherlands. That's really cool. And there are many different variations of this cookies for Santa tradition around the world. So British and Australian children might leave out sherry and minced pies. Swedish kids might leave out rice porridge. And in Ireland, they might do Guinness and cookies. And (laughs) French children leave a glass of wine and fill their shoes with hay and carrots. That's cute. It I like cute. the like the French one. I'm going to train my kids to leave me rum and eggnog with ginger cookies. <laughs> that would be my ideal snack. I think that's a good idea. And next up, we have advent calendars. Have you ever had an advent calendar that you just loved? I can't say I've had one that was particularly special. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were all just kind of like the standard chocolate, chocolate advent calendars. Yeah, Um It's hard to think about that on the spot. Have you? I feel like you must have. I don't really have a good, like, no, I've had a tea one before. Some people just have the coolest advent calendars. So I was thinking you might have had one, but it's okay. Like some people have cheese, which is cool. Oh, no, I did see a cheese one at the grocery store though, and I was tempted. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so historically, advent is the four-week period beginning on the Sunday following November 30th which is the feast day of St. Andrew the Apostle. But now it's more commonly associated with the 24 days starting on December 1st and leading up to December 25th. A German man named Gerard Lang is widely considered the inventor of the modern advent calendar. And as a child, he received 24 cookies sewn onto the lid of a box by his mother, and he was allowed to eat one of them each day during the advent period. So that's like the first advent calendar documented. I'm sure the cookies got pretty stale by day 24. Definitely. 24 (laughs) days. Um, However, around the same time, a German newspaper published a print advent calendar. And from then on, they became very popular, totally took off. So most advent calendars throughout the past century have contained small chocolates, Bible verses, or little Christmas ornaments. But... Today, modern advent calendars can be found in all sorts of niches. So there are perfume and cosmetics calendars, cheese calendars, wine and liquor, tea, beer, pretty much whatever you want, you can get 24 of. Have you heard of the Chanel advent calendar controversy? I have. Wasn't it? It was like 
$1,000 for this advent calendar, mm-hmm. and it included, like, a, like, keychain, like, plasticky. Yeah. Like, super nonsense. cheap things. It started <laughs> on TikTok when someone was opening their, I think it's, like, $850 advent oh calendar, which is a huge investment for someone to spend on 24 small gifts. On anything. On anything. Totally. And I'm hesitant to buy a new iPhone right now. I know. (laughs) Something you would use every day and would last you years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it was like stickers, magnets, paperweights. And like there were some makeup things, but it was like a mini lipstick, like not even a full size. Things you could probably get from Sephora. Yeah. As like a tester item. Totally. Upsetting. And for like a luxury brand, it's like, come on, that's embarrassing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a bit of a controversy. So they did have to issue a formal apology. Did they? They did. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I can't believe that they didn't have the foresight. I know. They were like, no, these are great. People will be so happy (laughs) with these things. Okay. So I found an article from 2007, little outdated, but it said that the most expensive advent calendar ever was $50,000 from Harrods. And it was a four foot Christmas tree structure carved from elm and walnut wood. And it had 24 compartments containing pieces of chocolate from Green and Black Chocolate Company, which in my opinion, doesn't sound worth $50,000. No. Like it's just chocolate, but in, in a beautiful structure. However, since then, there have been many luxury advent calendars that have launched, including a $150,000 Tiffany's advent calendar featuring surprises like their 18 karat gold triple drop earrings worth 4,600 USD. Wow. And a sterling silver harmonica worth 700 USD. Or the $1 million Porsche advent calendar of which, this is from this year, only five copies are made with only one available per continent. And it features luxury items like a Porsche design P6910 indicator watch in rose gold. I don't know, very expensive though. And an individually customizable Porsche design kitchen worth about $200,000 and an 8.5 meter yacht. (laughs) <laughs> just like in the out. I don't understand really how it works, but I'll send you a picture so you can put it on the Instagram. But yeah. I think they probably open it up and it's like a gift card or something because there's obviously not a yacht physically in the calendar. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Wow. Yeah. I really want some more details on how that one works. I know. Not because I'm going to buy it. It looks but... very futuristic. <laughs> wow. You probably couldn't buy it if you even tried because there's only five available. I'm sure they're scooped up by now. I also would need to take out a massive loan (laughs) of $1 million. (laughs) It's for an advent calendar. Great, great (laughs) return on investment. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up by talking about a common festive flavor or side dish, cranberries. Yay! Yay! Whether you're enjoying dried cranberries in your baking, mixing cranberry juice with gin and rosemary for a festive cocktail, or serving sweetened jellied cranberries on the side of your roasted turkey. Cranberries are a wonderful holiday staple, and turns out they have an interesting history as well. Cranberries have been a dietary staple for Native Americans for centuries, as they would harvest them and use them in different traditional remedies and dishes. 
Commercial cultivation of cranberries really started around 1816 when Captain Henry Hall found a cranberry vine in the sand and allegedly became the first person to cultivate them. So I don't know how they know that or how they can trace it to one person, but apparently he started the first cultivated cranberries. His name actually came up in like in my research as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I read somewhere too that they grow better with some sand mixed in with like the the muck and stuff. But sometimes I think it was like once every three years, they'll like lay more sand on the ground to help the cranberries grow. Wow. Cranberries grow in the weirdest way. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Share that. <laughs> so they're actually cultivated on vines in bogs. And if you Google cranberry farming or just check out whatever we posted on our Instagram for this episode, you'll see these huge ponds just filled with little floating cranberries. And it looks Mm -hmm. so cool. I really want to go swimming in one. (laughs) I think it would be so fun. It's probably not as as cool as you're making it sound. I feel like it's probably pretty viney. Yeah. Yeah. I hate seaweed. People get caught in them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I actually like, as much as it looks fun, like I would swim in like a, a clean area of water that was just filled with like harvested cranberries. But if there's vines involved and seaweed that can wrap around my ankles, I'm not interested. So just toss a couple of bags in a bathtub and (laughs) make your very own cranberry bog. I I will do that. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great Instagram content. (laughs) Okay. But canned cranberries, the jelly log that holds the shape of its can so well, weren't around until 1912 when a lawyer named Marcus Uran bought a cranberry bog and he started canning. And his little canning operation would later be renamed to Ocean Spray. And it's still around today. Amazing. And then just one little cranberry fact. And I did actually, the other day my friend came over and she brought frozen cranberries and cranberry juice and we made gin cocktails with rosemary. And they were delicious. But cranberries are so bitter. Mm-hmm. Like I was eating the frozen cranberries when I finished my drink and I was like, oof, these are not the most enjoyable. But there's a team of cranberry breeders at the University of Wisconsin-Madison that's been diligently working on creating a sweeter version of cranberries called Sweeties. And the research is looking promising. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So that's where I'll leave you for today. And I'll sit back for your story. Okay, so some of the sources I used include articles by the American Council on Science and Health, as well as an article by Tortorello and a video by the History Guy on this topic. Mm. Have you ever seen any of the History Guy videos? No. He covers just like random historical topics. But yeah, as always, you can find these references in our show notes on our website at unsavorypodcast.com. Okay, so when it comes to fear-mongering around food choices, there is one theme or chemical agent that has a tendency to really kind of stick and spread like wildfire. And Mm. do you have any idea of what I'm talking about? Like a specific, like pesticides maybe? Pesticides, yes. Yeah, that's a good guess. I'm like specifically talking about carcinogens. Oh, yes. Okay. Specifically, like cancer-causing foods mm-hmm. or elements on or within food products. Obviously, sometimes pesticides. Yeah, but like or like cancer-fighting things. Like exactly. that always comes up too. Yes, but this episode's not going to be on that. 
<laughs> so we've talked about this before, but when a cancer-related food research story hits the news, it's often picked up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And news headlines are often manipulated versions of what the research actually says. And even while I was doing this research, I came across recent news headlines stating that there is some evidence that artificial coloring may trigger cancer-causing processes in the body. Mm. And one of the articles was paired with like photos of candy canes, which I think is just, it's just so careless. Like don't make parents stress out more than they already need to. Yeah. Because there's some evidence Mm -hmm. in quotations that a lot of things in nature cause cancer in excessive amounts. So I just feel like it's not a very educated headline. I just, I, yeah, these types of things drive me nuts. And that research was probably not focused on like specifically artificial colors in candy canes. No. And now that article could have tanked the candy cane industry right before (laughs) Christmas. Could be a lawsuit. What a tragedy. Yeah. And if there is a lawsuit, we'll cover it. Yeah, things like that are kind of careless. And they're very frustrating to see as somebody who has some background on how research works now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On that note, I am going to tell you the events of the very first nationwide food scare. But first, I need to give you some background on what came to be the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a.k.a. the FDA and the Delaney Act, which I feel like you guys all came here for. It's so exciting. (laughs) Wait, did you know, do you remember who suggested this to us? I don't. We'll have to go back in our messages. I I actually tried to look into our Instagram. Oh, dang it. Okay, well, if you're listening to this Cranberry Scare episode and you're the person who messaged us and told us to do this, message us again and we'll shout you out on the next episode. I know. We're sorry. Yeah, we're the worst. All right. So in the 1800s, the U.S. was experiencing the industrial and agricultural revolutions. Systems were pushed to become more efficient to service a growing population. With this came the introduction of new pesticides, herbicides, and preservatives. But food producers did not have to follow any government regulation at this time. And ingredients weren't even listed on products, Hmm. which is hilarious because I was thinking, like, imagine having a food allergy at this time. It would be impossible. Totally. Okay. I'll do this fact check, but I'm dying to know when ingredients started being listed on products, unless you know. Fact check. Fact check. So there isn't really a clear answer to this because nutrition labeling and ingredients lists seem to have evolved incrementally over many decades. But it was in 1973 that the FDA began requiring the nutrition labeling of certain foods. These included foods with added nutrients like extra protein. It wasn't until 1990 in the States and 2007 in Canada that nutrition labeling and ingredients lists became mandatory on all packaged foods. Imagine having an allergy. No, I know. It was crazy times back then. It's wild west out there. (laughs) So one chemist named Harvey Wiley was working hard to ensure that these preservatives were safe for consumption. So Wiley was a government worker within the Department of Agriculture, and he decided to put together a new initiative to test the safety of these chemicals, but on human subjects. Mm. So in 1902, 12 male volunteers from Washington, D.C. were promised three meals a day for at least six months, which was an incredible offer at the time because there were so many like Americans living in in poverty. In turn, these volunteers had agreed to consume the chemicals in question. 
So this group became known as the Poison Squad. So they would record their weight, pulse, and temperature before eating and collect all of their bodily waste for analysis in a lab. Some of the tests included salicylic acid, sulfuric acid, and sodium borate or borax. Oh my gosh. Which I actually remember using as a kid as ant poison. Wow. You definitely shouldn't have had access to that as a kid. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't like me specifically. Your mom's like, Becca, terminate the ants. (laughs) Go do your chores. Yes, child. (laughs) Yeah, no, that wasn't me. But I remember seeing the big borax box uh, being used as like ant poison. (laughs) But yeah, borax was commonly used to help preserve animal protein at this time. And the test subjects took borax pills for weeks until they began experiencing symptoms like headaches, cramps, and depression. One volunteer died of tuberculosis four years after this specific study, and his family did blame the borax consumption, but Wiley denied any connection and nothing really came of it beyond that. Mm. These tests caused a lot of friction between government and industry because as Wiley and these other scientists uncovered the impacts of these chemicals, their effects would be exposed to the public. This is so unethical and terrible. I know. It's pretty wild stuff. Wow. But the final poison squad trial was with formaldehyde and the volunteers became so ill that they had to stop the research completely. Then in 1906, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act, also known as the Wiley Act, to protect consumers from certain chemicals used in foods. And 24 years later, so in 1930, Wiley's division became the FDA. Wow. Okay, this is cool. (laughs) Right? This is cool. (laughs) I feel like I didn't preface it as well as I should have, but whatever, we're here now. (laughs) So almost all of the preservatives that were tested on the 12 volunteers were banned from being used in food. Wiley also tried to warn consumers about tobacco years later, but a formal warning wasn't issued until about 40 years later. Oh my gosh. So despite the fact that this guy like tested presumably harmful chemicals on on humans, he was a huge advocate for consumer protection. And that's Mm -hmm. why he did these tests. Hmm. It's just that there were no ethics back then. For sure. And like using a financial incentive to get people to subject themselves to something that was and could have potentially been super dangerous. It's really, really bad. Yeah. And I mean, I'll I'll bet that they targeted a vulnerable population Look, when they were looking for volunteers. I would bet that too. Yeah. And did they test on animals first? Like just straight to humans? I mean, I don't know that specifically about this Mr. Wiley here, mm-hmm. but... We'll get into some animal testing stuff soon. It's just that he, I feel like he cared so much about consumer safety Mm -hmm. that he was just like, let's just go right to the consumer and see how they handle this formaldehyde. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Okay. It is awful. But the one death was like the only premature death that occurred in the study period. Mm -hmm. And he actually only let each, each participant be researched or studied, sorry, for a max of one year, I believe. Okay. So he knew what that the impacts probably wouldn't be good of consuming all of these chemicals, but he still wanted to do the research. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Okay. Yeah. In 1937, a pharmaceutical agent called elixir sulfonylamide was improperly used instead of the strep antibiotic 
sulfonilamide. This resulted in a mass poisoning of 100 people. So at this point, the FDA created a new act or law called the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And that gave the FDA more power to prevent something like this from ever happening again. One amendment to this act in 1959 was put forth by a man named James Delaney. Delaney wanted to better study the chemicals used on and within consumer food products, which seems like a good initiative, Mm -hmm. except the Delaney Amendment Clause stated, the secretary of the FDA shall not approve for use in food any chemical additive found to induce cancer in man or after tests found to induce cancer in animals. Hmm. So this change has been criticized for being too restrictive as it states that there can't be like any risk of cancer in any of these chemicals. Right. And as we know, in most cases, the dose makes the poison. Mm -hmm. So many things safe in moderation might be lethal if consumed in excess. And this really made me think about, I think it was our Subway yoga mat episode, Mm -hmm. which I think was our, was that our second episode ever? Second episode, azodicarbonamide. Yeah, well, we talked about just water toxicity. Totally. An element of nature, like yeah. a natural chemical, if mm-hmm. you will. And it's, it's something we literally need to survive. But in excess, it can kill us. Yeah, for sure. I don't think pure water has ever been linked to cancer, but you get my point. I do. Good. <laughs> so following this amendment, so in 1959, a year after the amendment, one of the first tests done on food was done on Cranberries. Like you mentioned in your intro, cranberries have been a dietary staple for centuries. But prior to the 1960s in Western civilization, the cranberry business was very much seasonal, with the fruit really only being purchased by consumers for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and exclusively in the form of cranberry sauce or whole cranberries to make cranberry sauce. But even with its seasonality, It was still a $50 million industry. Mm. At this time, the main producer and distributor of cranberries was Ocean Spray. And they processed between 70 to 80% of North American cranberry crops. And I'm pretty sure Ocean Spray is still like the main producer and distributor today. I bet they are. It's such a recognizable name and logo. Yes, it is. Because cranberries require pretty specific conditions to grow, an herbicide known as aminotriazole was used to clear some of like the bog weeds to help the cranberries thrive. So growers would typically use this chemical agent after a harvest to avoid getting it on the fruit, but trace amounts were sometimes found on the berries. And specifically in this case, they were found on some berries in Washington and Oregon State when some tests were done to follow that Delaney Amendment. Mm. So in November 1959, 17 days before American Thanksgiving, the Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare, Arthur Fleming, announced that aminotriazole had been traced back to some domestic cranberry products. Fleming wanted Ocean Spray, like the cranberry producers, to limit the distribution of the berries within Washington and Oregon until the company just had a plan to remove the contaminated berries. And he wanted just to warn the two states in the meantime of all this. But when a reporter asked whether a housewife should buy cranberries for her family for Thanksgiving, he answered that if a housewife wasn't sure of the origin of the product, then she shouldn't buy it. Oh, 
I can see how that was taken and would cause a panic. Yes. And this statement, like it spread like nationally. So cranberries were taken out of grocery stores, restaurants, and they were even banned in some communities. The first lady, Mamie Eisenhower, she served applesauce with her turkey that year instead of the traditional cranberry sauce. Uh The next day, it actually made headlines in the Associated Press stating, no cranberries for president. (laughs) In response to this, Richard Nixon, who was campaigning for president at the time, he ate four servings of cranberry sauce to kind of like prove how strong and brave he was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which also made headlines. And Politics. then JFK down two glasses of cranberry juice, which were like the super bitter concentrated stuff at the time. Wow. And in drinking the juice, he like toasted his opponent. Oh my gosh. Just for their brave stomachs. Wow. That reminds me of when Trump putting ketchup on his steak made the news. Yeah. <laughs> I love president food choices. Maybe we could do a full... <laughs> episode or something. I'm sure there's some scandal there. I'm sure. But it's it's just, it's kind of hilarious how they take the president who is avoiding the yeah. quote unquote poisonous cranberries and mm-hmm. then Nixon and JFK are like, we got this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. But most people were like still losing their minds over these berries. So market researchers found that half of all shoppers plan to never buy cranberries again. Ocean Spray was forced to seize barrels of the fruit as though it was like moonshine, even though they had also made a statement that any human would have to consume like carloads of Mm -hmm. berries for any ill effect. Growers were demanding Fleming be fired for his statement, and Miss Cranberry of Modesto, California, even hung a dummy of Fleming at an event to demonstrate their hatred towards him. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's real. People actually started to wonder if he was like in cahoots with like the Brussels sprout or sweet potato industries that were trying to take over. Trying to take over Thanksgiving as the main <laughs> star of the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So barely anyone purchased cranberries that year. Thanksgiving sales were down 70% and Christmas sales were down 50% even though the company was able to release the uncontaminated berries back into the distribution chain. Uh, But the damage was already done. So over $20 million was lost by January, and Ocean Spray was forced to lay off a third of their employees. Oh, wow. For Christmas, magazines began publishing cranberry-like alternatives for their meals. So things like spiced crab apples, frosted grapes, and plum or currant preserves. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The government created a $10 million subsidy for the cranberry growers over both the winter and spring, I think because they felt pretty guilty. (laughs) And it turned out that only 1% of the entire crop that year had trace amounts of amino triazole, meaning that 99% was not contaminated at all. Wow. Mm-hmm. Such a waste of cranberries, but also a third of the employees got laid off. Like, that's a lot of hardship. Because of this one statement. One comment. One, like, offhand comment. Yeah. Aw. I know. There were also, like, no reported instances of harm or injury because of the consumption of the berries. And the research had actually shown that rodents who consumed large doses of aminotriazole over long periods of time 
had developed thyroid cancer, but this would be the equivalent of a human eating about 15,000 pounds of cranberries with trace amounts of this chemical every day over the span of several years. That makes my stomach hurt just imagining. I know. (laughs) It's impossible, 15,000. I know. There was no risk, essentially. It was so minute. But because of this whole thing, the food industry stopped using it completely for fear of public outcry. Yeah. But it is actually still used today in non-agricultural settings, like to clear grass and weeds from highway mediums. An important cause. I thought it was kind of interesting. Yes. So with all of this new information, the cranberry market began to recover like the next fall in 1960. So people weren't as afraid anymore. Mm -hmm. The whole incident really forced the industry to kind of rethink its strategy. Since the berries were so seasonal, they were left really vulnerable to future disruption in the market. So they decided that they needed to diversify their revenue streams. So Ocean Spray began playing with some like more niche products. And at this time, so cranberry juice, it was consumed in some areas of like North America and whatnot, but mainly as a treatment for scurvy because of its vitamin C content. So it was super bitter and concentrated, as I said earlier. So they tried adding more water and sugar to it, Mm -hmm. making what is now known as cranberry juice cocktail. And this new product then turned into like the different juice blends like cran apple and stuff. But I just thought that was really cool because it kind of came out of this whole situation. It is so cool. And my grandmother and grandpa always have ocean spray cranberry juice in their fridge. Like they love it. Yeah. And I feel like their eating patterns are kind of a reflection of what was popular in like the 60s and 70s. Like they still Mm -hmm. eat that way. So I bet the the comeback that cranberry juice cocktail made was like sensational. Uh, Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that. I feel like my grandparents were very much the same. It was like pork chops and corn and you always had cookies for dessert, Mm -hmm. but they also had, it wasn't even the screw top lids. They used to have like the, the cans that used to poke the two holes into and then pour it that way. But of cranberry juice. That's old school. So old school. (laughs) So craisins were later invented as a snack and ingredient for baking and cereal products. And it should be no surprise that they actually got their inspiration from raisins. (laughs) (laughs) There are also a couple products in this whole process that did flop, like this cranberry meat glaze called Dip and Bake. (laughs) But all of these products, other than the meat glaze, are now year-round global commodities. Wow which is incredibly inspirational in my opinion. It is the mighty cranberry. Mm-hmm. Hit rock bottom and <laughs> came right back up. That's amazing. People thought they were done. People thought that cranberries were done for. Yeah. Like would go extinct probably. Yeah, exactly. And Ocean Spray was like, hold my phone. Yeah, not on my watch. <laughs> also, <laughs> imagine this is totally made up. But imagine (laughs) they funded industry research that was like, can you please link cranberry juice to good UTI outcomes? Uh, Yes. (laughs) I actually looked that up because I was like, when did that happen? But the research was from the early 2000s. Okay. Okay. Which I thought was really interesting because I I wanted to see if there was any link to it in this whole story. Because it could have been like part of their marketing campaign. Definitely. Although it's a weird thing to market. (laughs) For sure. But it's one of those things like everyone knows. 
about like if if you're like I have a UTI, people are like drink cranberry juice. Yep, absolutely. I don't know if it's effective. I've never had a UTI, but so. Ultimately, in 1996, President Bill Clinton removed the Delaney Clause from legislation because of its zero tolerance for any potentially carcinogenic food additives. This also sparked some controversy, a lot of which came, unfortunately, from like misinformed citizens. But the retraction of the clause was based on the fact that the results in animal studies will almost never be reproduced the same way in humans. So some perfectly safe substances to humans can be cancerous to animals. Hmm. And then sensitivity testing had also improved, showing that a lot of additives and even just like foods in general could be cancerous if consumed in mass quantities. Yeah. So the clause just no longer made sense. Totally. But I can absolutely understand how a member of the general public trying to feed their family, their kids Mm -hmm. would see that that clause is being removed and be like, what the heck? Like, I don't want to feed my kids things with carcinogenic food additives. Like I can see where that comes from. And it takes a pretty like nuanced understanding of the dose makes the poison. And that probably wasn't translated well through the media. For sure. And now you have me thinking too, like when did organic food products start taking off? taking off. I feel like they were, there was like a movement in the seventies around the time of like DDT. But no, it does really make me wonder if there was any correlation between when this occurred and an uptick in organic food products. But totally, I didn't look that up before. I just thought of it now. It's a good thought. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So even though the cranberry business did recover eventually, we still experience the aftermath of this scare today. It exposed like some of the tensions that occur between industry and government, and it imposed consumer mistrust and confusion around hypothetical hazards. So new scientific technologies and sensitivity testing also revealed that new ingredients with undesirable lab results like sweeteners and nitrates in meat also exist. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that the majority of these chemicals were designed or introduced to the food system to ensure food safety and ultimately the safety of the public. And I was thinking, like, in Canada, we likely wouldn't be able to make it through the winter with enough food if it weren't for some of these chemicals and preservatives. And I think that a lot of people forget about that. For sure. In nearly all instances of North American food law, the protective role of something like a pesticide has to outweigh the potential risk. And it must prove to be a necessity in maintaining food supply. So basically these things help uh, like protect consumers against adverse health effects Mm -hmm. and they help protect us from food supply disruptions. So the moral of the story, as always, is to be cautious of news headlines based on one-off studies or quack science, Mm -hmm. well as be wary of quote-unquote advocates who express strong chemophobic views. Mm -hmm. We are having such a credibility crisis when it comes to our food system. And I actually feel like we could do a whole episode on this. Yeah. Because in my research, I found this new branch of psychology. I guess it's not new, but it's like new to me. But it's called credibility psychology. And it looks at like the believability of information. And I feel like there's so much of that that goes on in the food system and just Uh this crisis between us. I would love to learn more about this too. I've never heard of that either. But how some people almost 
view credibility as something that makes you less credible or like yeah. more influenced by certain institutions or like you're funded by big agriculture or like big pharma. I've seen trolls online say like registered dietitians are just industry shill. And I'm like, I'm not yeah. paid by anyone. <laughs> Quite no. literally. <laughs> not even an employer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I completely I completely agree with what you're saying. I feel like sometimes people will like look at like the big food industry and mm -hmm. maybe they don't necessarily believe one component of it, but then they almost like turn to the person who kind of exposed yeah. that to them mm -hmm. as if they are the thought leader even yes. though they could just be some random and usually are. They usually are and yeah. then they believe what they're saying versus yes. where the science is. Mm -hmm. We should definitely do that. I'm sure we could find enough instances of that occurring in the food industry. It's already written yeah. down. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> in the last few minutes of my research, I was like, what is this credibility psychology? And I was like, I cannot get lost down a wormhole yeah, right now. No more wormholes. <laughs> but I would love to get lost in that wormhole maybe uh, in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Wow. That was a wild story. Yeah, that is it. That is the Cranberry Scare of 1959, which is the first and one of the greatest unfounded health scares to this day. You know what I love about true crime and food? What? Is the, <laughs> it's that, like, this story is terrible and sad, and lots of people lost their jobs, and there was, like, misinformation and public panic. Like, people were scared to purchase holiday food that they usually would. Mm -hmm. And it's sad and it's awful, but it's so cute because it's cranberries. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's always this level. Yes, it's true crime and it's sad and bad things happen. But when you link it back to food, there's just something like kind of nice about it. I know. I also feel like this story doesn't really have any like bad guys per se. Yeah, no specific terrible monster. No, it's just kind of like misinformation mm -hmm. slowly kind of being like weeded out. I also like Bog just, pun. I think it's... <laughs> So, <laughs> yes. Huh. I was like, is wed a word? Like wedded, wedded out? No, it's not. So. <laughs> Just in terms of marriage, wed. <laughs> Weeded out. We did see, uh, anyways. Yeah, I really liked this story a lot. And I also found it so inspirational just that ocean spray and the cranberry industry overall was able to overcome something like this. Totally. Respect for ocean spray. Do you have a question for me? You bet I do going to get you totally off guard because it's kind of a like an introspective question. But do you have oh. any New Year's resolutions? Interesting question. I don't have any like New Year's resolutions per se, mm -hmm. but I definitely have some goals for 2022, mm -hmm. but more like business goals. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share or do you want to keep them on lock? Maybe I'll share them next episode. Okay. That sounds nice. <laughs> I have, I truly, I know I asked the question, but I haven't even thought about my resolutions. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is a discussion, but do you typically make resolutions and like stick to them or like pick something specific to work on or kind of just like general goals? Yeah. Sometimes I make general goals. I, I can't remember if we've talked about this, like you and I before, but what I do mm -hmm. normally is I write goals just overall for the year. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure for 2021, I wrote, finish the MHSC master's And you program. did it. And I did it. <laughs> I finally crossed that one off the list. But I'll also put things like 
read X number of books this year or like take a trip to Mm -hmm. wherever I want to go that year. Things like that that are never... They're always something that I know that I can accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I love looking back on it when the year is done and just like checking them off and just being like, oh, wow, you did accomplish a lot this year. Totally. I always on New Year's Eve try to write down like everything I can remember that I did in the year that just passed or the year that's ending. And it always surprises me. I'm always like, I accomplished all that in this year. And breaking it down even like by month or, you know, a mix of small things like hosted a Christmas cookie decorating party and huge things like completed all our like all five practicum rotations. Like anyways, Mm -hmm. it always feels really good. And then I do set resolutions, but they're pretty broad. Like like broad, like how? I'm I'm trying to I know I'm trying to think like I wouldn't do like a specific tiny goal, but I would definitely be like start my career as a registered dietitian and figure out where I really want to and like continue to work on where I want to be, um, continue to work on unsavory and market the podcast more like broad goals, not like post four TikToks every week and try to get a TikTok audience. So not smart goals. Not smart Is what goals. you're saying. No, <laughs> no. One year I did resolve to learn to walk on my hands and I failed. I did not learn to walk on my hands. Oh my gosh. Did you try? Yeah. I tried for like a full month. I would just like do handstands for a long time. And then I would, you know, try, I would do like three steps on my hands and then I would fall. I was like 12, but it was my goal. Can can you do a handstand? Right now? It's not good. No, like just, I mean, yeah, you can show me, (laughs) but like, can you do a handstand? (laughs) Uh, Not like, not for a long time. (laughs) Okay. For like a millisecond, Jeff can actually walk on his hands for like 15 meters. Wow. He's a keeper. I know. He can edit podcasts <laughs> and he can walk on his hands. You know what they say about a man who can walk on his hands? Mm, <laughs> shit falls out of his pocket a lot. <laughs> the classic joke. Oh, oh okay. God. I had, okay. Yeah, I had no punchline for that. I know. All I right. was like, what's funny? Okay, let's wrap it up. Yeah, we should end this now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everyone. See you in two weeks. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Unsavory Podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.